Welcome to DMs of Vancouver, the show where we talk to our awesome friends and amazing guests about how to help you become a better GM for your tabletop games or review games that we've played recently from a GM and a player perspective. I'm Jesse Boros and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Sean Hagen and my pronouns are also he, him. We're your co-hosts for this podcast and we've got another great episode for you. This podcast is recorded and produced on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. In today's episode, we talk about a variety of things, from playing for an audience, to co-authoring your game world, to using positive reinforcement instead of punishing your players. Today, we're talking to voice actor extraordinaire, best known for his play as Chris Zagrand, Alante Barakat, pronouns he, they. We hope you enjoy the show. Roll for initiative! Hey, Alante. Uh, so... You gave us a bunch of topics that you wanted to talk about. Is there anyone <laughs> in particular that you wanted to start with? Uh, no, I am. I'm more than happy to talk about all of them. Uh, but let's say maybe uh, I, I just watched, uh, listened rather to your episode with Player Agency, and that's something I've become keenly aware with. So we could start there if you want. Sure. Um, Remind us what the, the, like, it's been a while, like, I, I have a bad memory at the best of times, so just remind us a little <laughs> bit about what uh, what we went over in that episode. Uh, you started off really talking about some of the history behind it, which I didn't know, but really what I was really loving and was the dive into how, even when it comes to choices such as going left and right, that even things like that should matter, Um so my experience has been more as a player voice actor on a podcast. So you can kind of see some rails, but you kind of have to pretend they don't exist. Uh, or, or rather, uh, you have to work with the DM to be like, hey, I really want to do this thing uh, and kind of play that towards the audience. So this whole interesting intersection of agency and the story is, is really like, quite odd. That That is something that I've been curious about for a while now, because when I've been running games, I would say that uh, 90% of the games that I've run have been homebrew. Like I've, I've come up with everything. Like I don't tend to run from modules. So the few times that I have run from modules, I've been very upfront about like, Hey, this story has rails Mm -hmm. and I'm going to let you know if you try to like leave the track because we are playing a module, which means that, like we're playing a specific story and I'm something I'm curious about is how, how similar or not at all similar are those kind of feelings when you're uh, a player on a podcast, like when you're playing for an audience versus just like at a table with some friends. Well, on a podcast, you kind of need to know a little bit of where you're going, but uh, enough where the surprises feel authentic so I think that style of like warning, hey, there might be a couple rails if you look really hard is really good. But the real joy of playing for an audience is really bringing up those things that everyone kind of finds interesting, those like inter-party dynamics. So you as a DM, I guess this is a question to you, uh, what are you doing in those homebrews to really amp that up? I, the last big campaign that I ran, I relied heavily on the backstories that the players provided for me. And um, like, 
I one of the things that I miss the most about playing in person is props. I'm I'm mm. huge on props. I love spending an evening, you know, using uh, my you know fancy calligraphy pens to write letters to mm. each of the players. And like I did this several times where I would have a letter that I wanted to write specifically for one player because I wanted them to get some new piece of information from a family member or an old friend or something that would be, uh, you know, a hook into like their story, but something that would continue the story of the campaign. Like, hey, this person might know something about this thing that you're all are dealing with right now. But uh, one of the things that I love doing was writing a letter for that person, but also writing just like miscellaneous, like, hey, the farm's doing okay. <laughs> like, just so that like, I could give a letter to everybody and it wouldn't be a like, oh no, they're getting a letter. Something uh-huh. special is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, like one, one of the letters I wrote was literally a like, uh, hey, you need to repay me for this loan. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh-huh. Um so yeah and uh and I think like when it comes to the whole like trying to keep a story going in a homebrew campaign like that's those were the the levers that I used the most was like mm-hmm. hey you told me in your backstory that uh you know this person trained you and then your village was attacked and you were the only survivor. Mm-hmm. Here's a letter from them saying that they're actually alive. They finally managed to track you down and they're oh, in this city. That. And this city happens to be where you guys needed to go next anyways. Mm-hmm. So just like, it's not a hook onto a completely different storyline. It's a hook to be like, yes, you are on the right track. This is where you need to go. I absolutely love that. That is one of the most beautiful things that I've gotten to experience on the podcast. Uh, in fact, that was one of my kind of first D&D experiences. So the fact that we had these artifacts that were given to us that I to this day keep feel really good. And it's nice to go back to no matter what what else is going on. I would say keep doing that. Keep doing that. It brings such a level of engagement that is just beautiful. Yeah. And I think... Oh, just really quickly, I was just going to say that I think part of my problem with playing online is definitely that it feels like on my end, there's a lot more work to prepare things, but also just that feeling of being able to sit around a table and watch people experience mm-hmm. opening a letter and like one person is like, oh my God, this is from my, <laughs> you know, my long lost mentor. And somebody else is like, oh, this bill payment thing again. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let me pose something to you then. Because this is something that I try to do. So I've recently get it, got my toes wet in this whole DM game. Just a couple of uh, like level zero campaigns. Uh, I've run the same kind of module that I've vastly tweaked with like five different groups now. And the feedback that I got that got them really engaged, which by the way, this was all online, total theater of the mind, was that I asked them, so there's a, you know, your standard inn in the middle of the woods and there's haunted things, zombies, whatever. But they enter the place and I ask them to establish something in that tavern. And then that same item gets called back later on when stuff goes down. So things like that, I think, help that feeling of agency, that ownership, co-authorship of the story. And that's really what a podcast is, I think, more than DMing at a just, you know, at a kitchen table. It's this co-authorship. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that because when you're playing at a table with friends, uh, you know you can be there for 
a thousand, a million different reasons. Like maybe you're just there because it's a silly campaign and you're just there to hang out with your friends and have fun, or you're trying to tell a very specific horror story and you want your DM to like have full control over the story so that they can scare the bejesus out of you <laughs> or, or so it's, you know, cards. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, or maybe it's a, like a longer running thing where you're all, uh, like maybe you're switching who DMs every so often so that, you know, you're in a shared world and you get to change who's authoring the story at any one point. But yeah, on a podcast, um, like from the ones that I've listened to and like I, the one that I've listened to the most, I haven't been keeping up with it though, is, uh, adventure time. And mm-hmm. <laughs> while, you know, like Griffin or for the, the side campaigns, whoever is DMing is definitely more in control of the story, but you can tell that they kind of, they all have a piece of, of that authorship role. They're all in control a little bit. I think that the co-authorship thing is like even away from a podcast is it's important to put in, especially if you are mm-hmm. running a campaign that has a bit more boundaries, say, uh, for plot. So mm-hmm. I was running a game based heavily on the Persona games, which had the, awesome. the structure <laughs> of, you know, there's a dungeon, there's downtime, there's a dungeon, you know, you, you go back and forth between the real world and this alternate version of the world. So it was in a way on rails because it was like this is the dungeon you have to deal with it's really the only option you can ignore it but bad things will happen <laughs> um so you know the ultimately the players don't really have any choice but to engage with them. well i would disagree with that because i love that you fact the fact that you said you can ignore it but bad things will happen yeah so you were kind of prepared for a situation when it's like yeah at least let's see what happens this time nah why not <laughs> um so that, that is true, right? There is always the option for the players to ignore it. But like part of the the buy-in from my game with my players was like, you know, look, you've agreed to play in this kind of game. I do need a certain amount of engagement from you, right? Mm-hmm. So if yeah. this is the structure, I do need you to interact with it. Mm-hmm. However, I tried to offset that by being like, once you go in there, oh yeah, I'll give you hints. I'm not telling you where to go. <laughs> um, and a lot of the times, like during the off days or days where they were just like, decided not to go or rest i would always be like okay well you they're like well what do we do i'm like i don't know you tell me <laughs> <laughs> you're playing a bunch of teenagers in a small town get up to, to some shenanigans or go to go, a random party do yeah, something go go mope on the beach like one character insisted on doing all the time like oh my god <laughs> like do just do do your thing and i think it was an important uh balancing act especially as far as role play right because mm. you don't want to there's a certain amount of like okayness with having like these are the mechanics you're ultimately going to be dealing with at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But I want them to have full control over what their characters are actually doing and acting like. Mm. Um so, you know, part of the exchange is yes, they will engage with the plot I have. That's part of the deal. But I'm not going to tell them what their characters should do in any other regard. I think that's where there's a key difference between playing for a podcast and playing at a table kind of comes in is so many of us came with a story that we wanted to tell. I'm sh- Yes, all players come with a story that they want to tell. But with a podcast, you are not just kind of playing your character. You're also bringing a lot of yourself into it. And with that, you're telling a lot of your story. Or at least that was my philosophy. I needed to go tell a story about trauma and how no matter what happens to you, you can overcome it. You can be stronger than, than anything. So 
a question that I've got for for both of you is is have you looked back at something that your players said or asked and then realized after the fact that like you should have said yes to that thing because that was an like a great opportunity to have them co-author something in your campaign and the example that I've got while you think about this a little bit is for that homebrew campaign um I had spent I had spent way too much time uh building the world and like constructing like this is the bad guy here's how he's influencing the world here's how all these different towns and cities are reacting to what's going on and all this stuff and and I had set up like and I, I when I say I went too deep into it I went way too hard on building this world because I had built an entire world like I went to the a site that I used to generate world maps and I generated a world map and started filling in all sorts of bits and pieces and cultures and like that's what this continent's like this is what this continent is like when that was way too much and so I had like constrained how I thought about the world and one of the things that I had done was that like the um uh, I can't remember the name of the races but they're the ones that are like their parent like some one of their ancestors was like a demon or an angel and they've like I think it's Asimar and Asimar and Tieflings. Tieflings, Tieflings, yeah. That's and so cool. <laughs> one of the and, and the the elemental ones, the Janassi, and like oh, this player, Janassi. the like I I had as I was building this world, I'm like, you know, there are Janassi, there are Asimar, there are Tieflings, but they are they are rare and viewed as like special, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what their heritage is. And um, when a, this player want, said, like, I want to, I'm thinking about playing a Genasi, like, would that be okay? And I'm like, yeah, but just so you know, like, in this world, they'd be like a little bit rare. And like, I could tell that this put put the player off because they didn't want to be like the focus wherever they went as like, oh my God, it's a, it's a Genasi. We like everybody in town's going to like bow down or they might not like you. Like, they didn't want to be playing as the center of attention. And I realize now looking back that. I should have been open to just saying like, yes, you can play that. And like in my head, just change things about the world um, should have made it so that, yeah, they're, they're not super common, but they're not so rare that everybody's going to point and stare when you walk into town. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's an important thing that you saw that, that look on your player, that that's a bit much. And I, I, I am still getting into this whole GM DM realm. And I, and I play that role as a player and i like to think of my sessions more as like movies so if i was in that exact situation i think i I would hope i would say yes and then play it out as if you were just coming into uh these genasi powers like maybe you started out as a human and now you're coming into this thing so you're getting a rise to being something special um with that it gets to my real kind of harping point my personal philosophy is that this is all a magical world where literally anything can happen so why not yeah and it's something we've talked about i think previously was you know starting small when you're building a if you're doing a homebrew campaign like don't do what i did like if you do what i did and create an entire world like go write a book in that world (laughs) don't run a campaign in it because um while it did have some benefits for me where that like it made it because I had all this information in my head, it made it super easy for me to uh, not have to really prep and just like go with the flow of whatever the players were doing. And 
kind of come up with dungeons and details on the fly. Had I started smaller and given the players more agency in how the world was built, I think it would have been even more fun. Like I'm not saying mm. that it's it wasn't fun to play in that world, but I might have been able to avoid a player going like feeling bad about choosing a race when they're trying to when they're thinking about a character. Like I want to be more open to saying like yes, mm. play a Genasi, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So this this ties into a, a point that I'd like to make, which is first. I'm really sad to say, but Sean, even your response of, just so you know, in this world, the X <laughs> is uh, uh, exceedingly rare in my experience. I've heard from so many people over the years, like friends of mine, who when they first started playing, they're like, I'm going to play a tiefling. Of course, I want to play the like awesome demon person <laughs> and then have the GM not even tell them about that. So they start the first session, they wind up in a bar and somebody immediately attacks them or something along those lines. Ooh. almost completely turning that player off from from tabletop games in general because mm-hmm. they had that bad initial experience. Um, but two is like, I get that in some settings, you know, X or Y doesn't exist for whatever reason. Okay, fine. Some people want to run games like that and some people want to play in games like that. So, But I do think if you want to have uh, an open game where you're trying to, you know, give everybody the best time possible, you should really do what you guys are saying, right? You should think about it and be like, well, I was going to do this, but, you know, maybe this instead. Or even sit down with the player and be like, look, I, this this race still won't be common, but why don't me and you sit down together and figure out how, like, people might respond to them? So they have hmm. um, input into it. Right. Or alternatively, find out, like, if they're, like, more like for a genasi, oh, well, I just want the, like the cantrip they get and some of their abilities and be like, okay, well we can like, if you're not tied to the genasi as a flavor thing, we can take the abilities and like say it's part of your class or an item you have or X, Y, or Z, right? There's other ways to tie those things in. Yeah. And I think the, the your suggestion of like sitting down with the player, especially if you're doing like a session zero, sitting down with them and saying like, how, how do people react to, you the genasi or tiefling or asimar or whatever it is uh that they want to play and like authoring that part of the world with them so that it's not a surprise when you know they walk into the bar in some podunk town in the middle of nowhere and you know somebody says hey we don't like your kind around here like they they knew that that was coming it's not a like oh no i'm feeling singled out hopefully yeah that whole not being singled out is a very, very important experience to cultivate at any table. And I feel especially in a podcast situation because your audience can hear that. And then it becomes this whole weird like cycle that's like, this is not good. Oh, crap. Got Maybe you got to fix that or not. And this is not good. So just something to be very diligent about. Having conversations with your players, your 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 party, the DM, the whole table. Even I would highly recommend having just random sessions that have nothing to do with the game, just to keep everyone in the same, you know, flow headspace. But that might just be for a podcast thing. I haven't tried it yet, but I think it'd be good. And yeah, I think that those moments because there like sometimes there are moments where you might want a single player out, like they've part of their storyline has been leading up to a certain place. And this is the, the confrontation with their personal 
you know, villain or, you know, there's some character family thing that's come to a head and they've got to deal with it. Or um, like in, uh, was it uh, not, not, I want I keep wanting to say adventure time, but that's not critical role mm-hmm. um, in the first season when uh, I'm blanking all the names, but Grog, I think the, the, the Goliath barbarian. barbarian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the sword that was like trying to take over his mind. Like there's a moment in that where like, if they keep, if the character keeps making wrong decisions, like there's going to be a point where like you have to single out this player and like bad things are going to happen. And it's entirely because of what they've been, you know, the choices they've made or the choices their character have made. But because you've kind of co-authored the story up to that point, it feels like it's not a out of the blue, like, ha ha tricks on you. Bad things happened. Like, no, you knew this was coming. We were telling the story together. I, I love that. And I absolutely love that example. Definitely should not ever come to a surprise of ha ha tricks on you. Or like, I got you. I mean, I've heard horror stories of like, DM just constantly giving someone cursed items, even though they're like, I finally want to like forge this amazing thing. Nope. Uh, That's never a space you want to be in. But having that warning lets you create those interesting choices. And that's really what this is all about. And you really want to reward and tempt your players to make those seemingly bad choices because you never know where the road's going to lead. Yeah. And so I think this is a, a, a good segue into the one of the things you want to talk about, which was positive reinforcement rather than mm. punishing your players. Yes. Um, because I think everybody has heard a story about <laughs> a DM getting saddled with a group of murder hobos, but mm-hmm. it, it kind of feels like like there's two problems when it comes to murder hobos. Like one is that like you didn't sit down and have a session zero so that like you didn't know that this was coming and now you're with stuck with a partner of murder hobos and you're kind of freaking out about it because of your story. But the other one is like the second part is what happens when DMs realize like, Oh no, this is a part of party of murder hobos. I'm just going to punish them. It's like, mm-hmm. mm, you made a couple of bad decisions here, friend. So I, I would like to start with how do you guys avoid that situation? Um, personally, uh, if I'm running a one shot, I just decide not to care. Because, <laughs> okay. you know, it's a one shot. You don't have time for a session zero. You you might have time to talk about like the setting a bit. But like a lot of time, it's just people bringing a character they have and playing. And if I'm running a one shot and people want to just run around murdering everything, you know, I, I will think of consequences that make sense in the story if they do something like very obvious, like murder somebody in the town square. Uh-huh. But like, you know, if they're being smart murder hobos, that they should be rewarded for being smart murder hobos. Like, yeah, they, they you know, we kill somebody in the alley and hide the body. You know, maybe someone will find that eventually, but it's all one shot. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> um, but for for ongoing campaigns i i mean i tend to run for people i already know pretty well um and you know there might be one or two people that get brought in that are separate that i you know i'm not as familiar with but i have a session zero and like i i don't love running games for murder hobos partially because i don't like love combat all the time (laughs) um that's not my strong point as a gm and it's not a thing i'm interested in you know, that's the thing, like, part of the thing, too, is, like, if you do wind up in a ongoing campaign and the players are all murder hobos and that's not what you went into run, you have to be an adult and be honest <laughs> and be like, you know what, guys, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't ready to run the kind of campaign I think you want to play. 
um, either, you know, give me an extra couple of weeks and I'll come back with something more suited or like, does somebody else maybe want to run? Would somebody be interested in running a game more suitable for this? Because like, you know, if, if you don't want to run that kind of thing in general and you keep doing it out of a sense of obligation, you're probably not going to have a good time. Mm. But, you know, if you still want to run for these people, you can just, you know, again, you can just talk to your party um, and, you know, you can always adjust your game. Like if you really want to play with them, this is how they want to play. And that's the point you're at where, where the option is either you leave and play with other people, but you don't want to do that. You sometimes have to adjust how you play games. And that's, that's, that's kind of true across the board. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when I think about it, like I, I haven't run, I think enough games to encounter it, or I'm in the same boat as Jesse, where I've run for people that I, I knew fairly well when it comes to like, if I realized that I was jamming for a table of murder hobos and I had a problem with that, I would like try to take a step back and figure out why I have a problem with it. Like, is it because I'm spending a lot of time coming up with interesting NPCs and the first thing that happens is one of them will try and figure out how to kill them and usually succeed because they're level 10 murder hobos (laughs) or, or is it because every session is combat, combat, combat with like five minutes of role playing or is there some other problem? And depending on what my specific problem is, like I would probably come up with different solutions. Like if, if the problem is that like I'm spending way too much time creating NPCs and you know, they're, the party that was once a group of noble heroes is becoming a uh, a blight upon the land. Like, you know, I can switch things up and not spend so much time creating NPCs or create NPCs that are like tougher to kill and will have an easier time in getting away from the party when things don't go their way so that they mm-hmm. can have, have a villain that they can chase after who's worse than they are, or maybe not isn't a villain. They're just like the cop <laughs> trying to catch this group of murderers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And like try to find a fun way to do that, like to shift the story. Um, if the problem is just like every session is four hours of combat and five minutes of role playing, then I would do the same thing as Jesse. I would sit down and have a conversation of like, look, this is not the kind of game I'm interested in running. If you all still want to play, then maybe somebody else can GM or we'll figure something else out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause I will say that like, yeah, I'm not interested. I think regardless of system in having a session that's 90% combat, because that's to me like outside of maybe one or two games where that is kind of what the game is about is like very tactical, Mm. dangerous, well thought out combat, like where you care about is your hand (laughs) sticking out of cover or is your upper body sticking out of cover? Like where those decisions like are actually important versus a game like D and D where it's like, well, you're entirely in cover, but this thing has an ability that just ignores it. So, yeah, we're continuing on. But, yeah, I guess it, yeah, it depends on what kind of problem I have with this particular group of murder hobos. So the murder hobo problem is multilateral. When I, when I first think about it, I think about it in the way that players just want to use the cool shit they got. And that usually, and all that stuff is designed for combat. So with that... I kind of realize for a very rules-heavy GM, I'm a problematic player. Hear me out. <laughs> One of my favorite and like moments early on in the podcast was 
I don't know if you know this ability, but it's called Absorb Elements. One of my favorite abilities. We were on a ship and it, there was heavy fog and there was no way to see where we were going. And I just had this idea pop in my head like, because I still wasn't comfortable, comfortable with role playing at the time. Hey, what if I use this spell to absorb the mist? And the GM was so cool to let me do that. And then it became an RP moment of my character's doing this dance because he's kind of a dancery person. And I'm doing that to absorb the mist while other people are casting out lights or doing this and then the other. And then the fog begins to part. So I think telling your players or letting your players have these moments of using the abilities in non-standard ways will shift that focus from from murder hoboism to how do I be really awesome in this narrative sense? In the same way, I've also used my abilities in combat for weird kind of narrative reasons. Another meta magic silent spell. I'm just like, I'm just going to use, I'm going to use this, the, the, this to make sure that my thunder magic, they can't hear because it's so high pitched that only dogs can hear it. That, and to have moments where, that is awesome and maybe rewarded in some way. Maybe not in terms of damage or anything like that, but just even a, even a table of that was really cool can sometimes be enough. And if you really want to uh, kind of shift your players more narratively, I've been playing a lot of Shadow of the Demon Lord running those kind of games. And there's this whole thing called Fortune, which does uh, many different things, turns, successes, into failures for the enemies and vice versa or lets you literally alter reality what i started to do for players who weren't comfortable uh, in a role-playing sense that even when they try i'm just like i just ask them hey if you use this if you use this thing that you established early on you'll you'll get a bonus and they don't know until the end and then i reward them just for trying or hey you did a you you killed this thing. I want you to tell me how badass you were at it. Like, how did you slay this enemy? You tell me that. So th- these are my techniques to kind of shift players in the directions that I think are fun. But I agree with you guys that if they're not going that way, you got to have that conversation. You touched on something there that is actually one of my favorite things that um, one of my former and hopefully future again when they have the time gms would do is that let you use spells for skill challenge type things Mm -hmm. where you're like you know yeah let somebody use thunder wave to propel the like piece of wood they're on through the water yes Uh, let somebody use uh ray of frost to like chill the water or maybe create a little thing of ice to help turn the thing they're in oh my god yes (laughs) creative uses of spells especially spells that like take up a resource because that's like I've I've run into DMs who are like, oh, well, I'm letting you do this thing for nothing. It's like, no, I'm using mm. a spell slot. That's like for like a fourth level wizard. First level spell <laughs> slot is like a major resource. <laughs> uh-huh. So something that I'm curious about, because I, I had an experience with this, is is how far do you let the players push the boundaries of what the spell says as written? Because like my, my, my example is... Um, spell mold earth which as written um, you can manipulate a five foot cube of earth to like excavate it move it along the ground deposit it somewhere else etc etc and the question that one of my players had that like i spent a bunch of time like talking them and like trying to figure out uh 
how this would work was it says a five foot cube. Can the spellcaster change the dimensions of that cube so that, for example, it's a one inch plane that's like really, really big (laughs) to, for example, shear off the side of a mountain and cause a landslide? Mm, That's so creative. (laughs) And I, I ended up going with it. Um, and working through like the implications and like how it might work with them simply because they had put themselves, the party had put themselves in a situation that I had not expected them to get into by escaping the wrong way and ending up trapped mm-hmm. <laughs> because they had put themselves in a situation where they were surrounded on all sides of this like, uh, like hill by knolls and they're like this was their hail mary of like well if i can cause a landslide and take out like half of them then we can just book it and get out of here mm-hmm. and and i let them do it because it's like but like i think i imposed a penalty of like a level of exha- exhaustion or something because it was a like they were like massively modifying how this spell is supposed to work especially since it's a cantrip they're exhausted from being a total badass yeah i'll yeah. take that are you <laughs> kidding yeah i i mean i think that's a good way to approach it i I mean, I know my personal mitigation would be like, it does specify within a certain area, but I do think letting someone spend a resource like a level of exhaustion or a spell slot or, you know what, roll me uh, roll me a d20 and if you get above 15, we'll say this works or mm. something like that. And, I'd love all of those ideas. Yeah, <laughs> because one of the things that's kind of the joke about, I want to say 3.5 and earlier is that there were all of these ways to manipulate the rules is written in ridiculous ways that are fun sometimes, but I could see, especially as a DM, get frustrating, especially if people are using the, uh, what is it, the light speed rock rule, um, <laughs> where if, uh, for those unfamiliar, you can get, somebody can pass something as a free action, a free action takes <laughs> zero amount of time. So you get a lineup of uh, NPCs and players passing this, like this object, and eventually... As written, it's moved all of this space in zero seconds, so it must be going a certain amount of speed, in which case it becomes like a light speed rock or something like that. I'm not yeah. explaining it properly. I never <laughs> That's I've ridiculous. only heard about these things. Yeah, so there are things where it's like I hesitate to let anything get to the thing, like a cantrip shearing off the side of a rock cliff, right? That's one of those things where I'd be like, you know, low-level players, desperate situation, you have to spend a resource and maybe be like, I'm going to let you do this this one time. Yeah. Because this is a great idea and you've come up with it, but I don't want this to be a thing that you just constantly do. The yeah. fact that you said, yes, you can do it this one time as a player is enough. Because then that just, to me, that sparks that creative narrative things. Like, how else can I be useful or use this in a weird way or, or whatever? I love the idea of using a resource, especially because I played a sorcerer, which is all about magical fuckery right (laughs) so why not and it also reminds me of like the star wars system Uh, what is it the fate dice system right where you can fail with advantage that there's nothing wrong with letting your players roll and just seeing how it comes out yeah and i think it's one of those things that i don't know if it's just because of the way the game is written or the way that like because it's a communal thing we all tend to play towards almost like an ideal or something, but like new players, and I've seen this all over the place, people commenting on how new players, people who have never played a, uh, a tabletop game before, 
tend to have these like interesting, cool, wacky ways of using spells and abilities that everybody else at the table is like, you know what? Yeah, that would work. And that is really <laughs> awesome. And I'm just wondering like how much of it is like new players not doing that so much anymore because so many DMs say like, no, it's written this way. And like you, yeah. like the unfortunate side effect of like trying to keep the game fair for everybody at the table is that some of that creativeness does get hammered out of players sometimes because yeah, you wanted to do this cool thing, but like you are a first level character. You can't do something that awesome quite yet. There's so I do have something to say about that. Whereas I do think it is true that a lot of DMs do that. I do think though, a lot of experienced players also do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And whether that's because they've encountered that with other DMs earlier and they're just like kind of reinforcing, you know, it's the, it's gatekeeping. It's it's the same argument in a weird way that you get from when we talk about like making college tuition free or automatically paying people student debt, where other people were like, oh, I paid all my debt, so everybody else should pay theirs. It's like, no. <laughs> no, you should try and make, just because you had a bad experience earlier on, why are you trying to like put that bad experience on someone else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, I know if I thought like that when I tried to play initially, I definitely had lots of, like, creative ideas that got kiboshed by my DM at the time. Um, And, like, if I was doing that, I would, you know, nobody would want to play with me after a certain amount of point. It, like, it becomes less fun. Well, uh, I have so many things to say about that just because that is gatekeeping. And that was, to me, one of the most frustrating things. And I, I had that exact same experience over and over until I got onto the podcast and I had a very good GM who's like, you know what? That's awesome. Go ahead. Let's see what happens. Um, and I'm sad to say, I feel like that experience is more rare. There is a huge problem with just tabletop games and gatekeeping that whole, no, you have to play like me. That's not okay. And I think that's why it's important to get new players in different perspectives. And I think it's also important why it's important to play or at least have knowledge of games that are not just D&D because like D&D is a fun game to play. It's great. It's got lots of cool stuff that you can do in it. And it's got, especially like now with fifth edition, it's, it's easy to get people who have never played up and running. If you've got at least one or two other people at the table who have played before, but Mm -hmm. there are games like, like fate or all sorts. Well, I'm not even just trying to name any, but there's lots of games out there where that kind of new player creativity is encouraged by the rules because it's maybe it's a more narrative game or maybe it's a game where you're given a bunch of these really awesome abilities right off the bat. and You can do stuff like shear off the side of a mountain and not have to worry about, oh, no, it's just a cantrip. Like hmm. there's so many ways that you can have fun at the table that, yeah, like trying to say like, well, this is how I learned to play. So you need to learn to play <laughs> the same way is not the way to go. <laughs> no, no, it is not. One of, sorry, I just got really flustered for a second because yeah. it's one of those things that really, truly irks me. There's nothing, there's nothing and no reason why you can't bring those things from different games into your game. Why not bring those narrative rules into your D&D game? If you have a player who's like just not good at saying words, then maybe make a couple of like skill-like spells where it's just like ability checks, or at least let them know that those exist. There's a bunch of things like that. And 
why that irks me in particular is because in my own trying to figure out how you decolonize gaming and whatnot, I've come across those weird stories, those awful stories of gatekeeping, where, for instance, there's a there's an article on, I just want to make sure I quote it right, and I hope you don't mind me quoting it. Yeah, right, go ahead. I hope I'm saying the name right, but there's an article called Decolonizing the Dungeon by Nick Masick. <laughs> Where basically they talk about a story of playing old school Dungeons and Dragons and how they just wanted to be a brown elf. But that can't exist, according to the damn. You have to have a normal skin tone. If you want to do that, you need to be a drow. Yeah, and that's it's a story that I've seen regrettably way too much of. And like it's not even just something with tabletop games you see this when people are talking about video games or movies of how like oh you can't have a a dwarf who has black skin because that's not how this fantasy world works it's like it's a fantasy world with dragons what are you talking about that's literally my argument (laughs) the most frustrating thing too is like look DD has a bunch of problems with colonialism in its writing but that's also not even true because there are sun elves who have brown skin. It is mm-hmm. it is a thing that exists within the like expanded lore of the system. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's so shitty that like a, a presumably white GM wouldn't mm-hmm. let somebody just make that exception because it doesn't affect the game in any mechanical way. Mm-hmm. There's some narrative stuff, maybe. Maybe. But you only bring that up if the player and the DM both want to do that anyway. Like Yep. It doesn't have to be an issue. <laughs> but yeah. the problem is that that is an issue. And even though that particular issue doesn't may not exist anymore, it still exists in other ways. And it also turns that one player like off from the game entirely yeah, because absolutely. they can't tell their story. Your players have to feel connected to their character. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Otherwise, maybe you should have written an audio drama. Yeah. yeah. And it, it kind of comes back to what I was saying about like feeling like accidentally feeling like I cut a player off from being able to play the character they wanted to. And like looking back and I I should have just said, yes, let's figure out how people react to your character because you're not playing as one of the more quote unquote standard races. Like, let's figure out how this how you can play this character that you want to play because you saw it and thought it was cool. Mm. Um, Or like, and I think for that one example, it was because I was too into my own world building and like got too into my own head. But I would like to think that if somebody comes to me and says like, this is what my character is, this is their race, this is their class, and this is what they look like. I'm just going to be cool. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't matter what you're playing as because that's the story that you want to tell the character you want to play. Yeah. And because my goal is always when I'm running a game is that everybody has fun. Everybody feels included. Everybody feels like they can have fun helping to tell an awesome story. And Mm. if that starts with somebody saying, no, this choice you made isn't valid. Like Mm -hmm. I don't understand how people can have fun at the table when it starts Mm. off by saying, nah, that wasn't valid. Oh, it, it doesn't even have to be that. I mean, I've, I've had the experience of, struggling to find a character that I wanted in a system that I I was like, oh, okay. But then, you know, I get really into this one thing. And, and I, let's just say it's it's like a, like a skill or, or a certain familiar or whatever. And then a DM says, 
I really fucking hate when people do that because it's so cliche. Then you're alienating a player. Yeah. So it's just another thing to be careful and to watch out for and something that is uh, not uncommon. (laughs) the, The whole argument that I see for like that's cliche or that's a trope or whatever is like there is a reason why things are cliches and tropes it's because they are easy storytelling tools that people use to get across a certain kind of story that they want to tell yes so much yes and And, sorry go ahead sean i was gonna say really quickly like if you have a a problem with a particular trope or cliche like talk to the player who wants to use it and figure out like okay is this a problem that we're not going to be able to get past or is it just mm-hmm. i've encountered this so many times but this player has a new way that they want to play with this trope or mm-hmm. whatever it is so that the player can still do the thing that they were excited about and maybe like the gm can get over some of the baggage that they've got playing the trope is okay even if it's not edited in any way that's yeah. okay if that's what the player wants yeah not conversely not- oh Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Conversely, it's also on the player to tell the GM, this trope is not okay. Don't do it. I'm so lucky that I had a very amazing receptive GM because at the end of my whole season, I made sure to made it a point to tell my GM saying, hey, as a gay person, as a person of color, I cannot do the story of 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 dying at the end like that is just that story has been told to death that's not a story i want to perpetuate please don't do it and it's great when you have someone's like yeah also how do you want to end it like i don't want to i don't want to dictate that for you how do you want to do that yeah I, it's it's one of those things like it's so important to talk to your players about and like this is part of why we i think are pretty into session zeros and safety rules which we still gotta gotta find a good episode to do that for but like so you can know this kind of stuff and also you know try and generally have some general media savviness like (laughs) yeah something that you mentioned there that i really like the idea of is it doesn't have to be part of your session zero but the idea of asking your players like what is the end like the end that you see for this character and like, it's fine if it changes, but like at the start of the campaign, like you're starting, you're all starting as level three characters. And here's the like general gist of the story we're going to be telling. How do you see it ending for your character? So that like, as a GM, I can keep that in mind to like be giving you story hooks that help you build to that, to be giving you items or NPCs and all that kind of stuff. Because I think at the end of the day, when it, for me, when I'm playing a game of, of D&D or Star Wars or Fate or whatever it is, I am really here to tell a story and to tell a story with the people at the table that I'm playing with. And as much as I'm there as the GM to help guide the story, like if I tell a story and I'm like, yes, that was awesome. And everybody on the table is like... <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Like, I'm yeah. going to feel devastated. But, like, yeah. if I can get feedback from my players and help them tell a story that they think is awesome and that everybody at the table is super enthusiastic about, mm-hmm. like, that to me is the goal of, of why I play. Mm-hmm. And so 
knowing what the players where they want to end up even if that changes like you know six seven sessions later a player comes to me and says like oh actually instead of you know going out in a hail of gunfire i want to like you know get off like robin hood and like ride off into the sunset like that's how i want things to end like okay cool (laughs) awesome i'll tweak some of the things that i had in mind and we'll start working towards that instead also, I think it's worth pointing out that, like, for a DM, finding out where your players want to go and all that stuff actually means that there's less work for you mm. at the end of the day. It's, uh, you know, the, my favorite example is I had a player who, or players like, my character's dad disappeared. I don't know what happened to them. You can, you use that as a tool. And I was like, okay. So your <laughs> villain is now, like, the main bad guy. You're going to be your dad's the main bad guy you're going to keep on running into. And you're not going to know that until like way later. Sadly, never got to that point because pandemic, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but like, you know, getting that from a player, uh, whether you ask for it or they just offer it, uh, helps you write stuff and get ideas in your head quicker and leaves you more time to work on other aspects of the game as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, facilitating a good time for your players which i would say is like the main job of a gm yeah it's also making your job actually easier (laughs) yeah and part of what i think i'm hearing you both say is highlight your players choices and i want to take that one step further of it's also in the player to kind of highlight those choices too even those simple choices of i took this feed on okay you got a new thing where you have meta magic now it's not a lot, but how did you do that? Or you decided to get a level in this other class. How did that even happen? Instead of, oh yeah, this just kind of happened. Like these are all places <laughs> your your GM and your party and everything can use. I think that that though for me is one of my the only kind of bugbear that I've still got with DD or games that use that that kind of class level progression is that it can be really weird that your characters are out you know trapezing through a desert trying to find some lost city and somehow your paladin learned this really awesome new technique it's like how how did they learn that (laughs) (laughs) or your fighter went from uh you know being able to do second win to now they can attack four times in a turn Mm -hmm. who taught them how to do that like have they been practicing this entire time or or just what came to mind just now is highlight that one moment where they use it for the first time. Make it, don't hide the role and make it an automatic crit or something. Just something ridiculous where, oh shit, you can do that now? Like, <laughs> I'm going to keep trying. I don't know how I got the crit, but I'm going to do it again. Oh, that didn't work at all. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. I And I know that this is, it's totally a gameplay and story segregation thing of just like, the the way that the characters work is that every so often they level up and they get new abilities but the fact that like it doesn't feel like anywhere in any of the three core books it gives you some examples of how to work that into a story Mm. i just it's something that i'm always going to be trying to tweak and tune and try and figure out the the way that it feels best to me because like I don't want to say to my players, like, you can't use any of these skills until you find somebody to teach you. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it just, I don't know, it feels weird. But that's mm-hmm. just, that is totally my own hang up and <laughs> I got to deal with it. Uh, a thing I do want to say, and because this is a feedback I've gotten from some of my players, it's also okay to sometimes not highlight a character choice if they don't want to engage with that at the table. 
Mm. Um, and I think that's an important thing just to consider. And you know what? Most of the time, your players will tell you that. So just listen to them and listen then apply that. <laughs> I think that's just the moral of the story. Yeah. Listen to your players. Keep having conversations. And I think all role-playing is is really having and enjoying your relationships and DMs and players alike should really be focused on amping that up. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think we're kind of getting to the end of our time, but I feel like there's like a bunch of the stuff that we've been talking about. We've kind of been dancing around just like representation. You also mentioned decolonizing the game and those are things that I want to talk about, but I feel like we need another like half hour or so. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Yes, but definitely. <laughs> things that we can have you back on to talk about in another episode, maybe. Yeah. Oh, um, I'd be but, honored. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think yeah, I, like at the end of the day, like what it comes down to for me is always just you're hanging out with people that are, if not friends, people that you're friendly with, and mm. you're trying to have a, a good time telling a story, whether that's. A scary story, high fantasy, everybody's awesome story, or we're just a bunch of common rebels trying to, you know, defend our town against this emp- evil empire. Like whatever the story is that you're telling, you want to have fun telling it, even if there's moments where like you feel really a a, a certain emotion really deeply because of the way the story is gone. Mm-hmm. You still want to have fun, and however you as the GM tell a story to involve your players and how they want to help tell that story so that everybody gets a say in this awesome thing you're building together. Mm-hmm. We are building it together. That yeah. is, that is the takeaway. <laughs> yeah. And it's something that I think every horror story that I've read of like, you know, this table fell apart because of a GM or a specific player was that like, they forgot that it's a collaborative game whether it's D&D or whatever it is, like tabletop games are collaborative. You're playing a game where you're telling a story that just happens to have some rules attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you're just playing like two people, a GM and a player, like it's still collaborative. Yeah, probably arguably more collaborative in that situation. Yeah. Because <laughs> once that player is like, I'm going to put my walls up, the game's over. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think... This is probably a good place to wrap up because otherwise I am going to dive into these other topics and we will be here another hour. Um, I'm not mad at that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a blast. Thank you. I'm happy that it's a blast. I was a little worried for like a minute, but that's my own stuff. So it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is there anything that you'd like to plug before we get out of here? I would say I am in the works on various projects. So look out for me, look at on all social medias, especially Linktree, which would have all the things, that Bearcat. Uh, so that B-E-A-R-K-A-T. Cool. Um, and that's that's it, I think. We're still working out how to end these things now that we've got like a separate outro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Alante, thank you so much for coming on. Thank and uh, I mean, it sounds like we're going to talk to you again. <laughs> so. Oh, no. We have to stay in contact. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Friendship. Friendship. No. <laughs> the mortify, mortify, mortifying ordeal of being known. Oh. <laughs>
I love it. <laughs> Alrighty. Alright. Okay. Bye. 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 Have fun on the game. Thanks again for listening to our show. We are proud members of the Cave Goblin Podcast Network. Find us and other shows at cavegoblins.com. You can support us and our network by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cavegoblins or by joining our Discord. You can also support us by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, or at Sean P. Hagen. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Burrows. See more of her work at HaleyBurrows.com. That's all for this episode. Hope to see you out there at the gaming table. I'm Piers Ray. Sitting with me is Eric Ivanovich. My name is Eric Ivanovich. We're the hosts of Podcast vs. Podcast right here on the Cave Goblin Network. This is the only podcast pitching show on the internet. Tune in. Find out if we can ever find the perfect podcast. Or, more importantly, can we agree on it? This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.